Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Nothing sacred except maybe the Sazerac. That's the philosophy of Neil Bodenheimer and his team at Cure in New Orleans. It's a wise approach if you run a bar in NOLA. Not only is the Sazerac New Orleans official cocktail, the city basically kept the drink alive when so many others had turned their back on it during the dark days of cocktail culture. For New Orleanians, the Sazerac is a bit like that band you followed and liked before they became famous, or the team you've kept on supporting through years of disappointment. Shout out to uh, Mets and Jets fans. At the beginning of our interview, Neil goes deep on the drink's backstory. All you history buffs are gonna love it. The information he lays out helps us understand the rye versus cognac debate. And history in general is also at the heart of how Neil and his team created their version of this sacred cocktail. You could walk into Cure, order their Sazerac, and enjoy the hell out of it, but also be completely unaware of the history and attention to detail mixed into their version of the drink. But today, listener, we get to look behind the scenes. But first, as always, a quick word from our sponsor. The right bourbon can elevate your next cocktail into an experience worth savoring. So look for a brand that doesn't overlook the details and sets the standard for bourbon. That's Knob Creek. It's truly the real deal. An authentic, classic line of American whiskies with proofs ranging from 100 to 120. Knob Creek is aged longer to produce a full flavor experience as rich and deep as its history. With every drop, you notice the attention to detail Knob Creek puts into its bourbon. So strive for a little more substance, because when you choose to go deeper, you'll find so much more to appreciate. Neil Bodenheimer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Tim, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited to talk uh, talk cocktails with you. The pleasure is all mine. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. And before we do, I think a great way to kick this off today, I believe that at Cure, you have a specific philosophy, philosophy relating to uh, the drink that we're going to discuss today. So can you tell us about that? Sure. So, um, you know, anytime... <laughs> You're in New Orleans and you open a bar in New Orleans. We opened Cure uh, just under 13 years ago. Uh, The first thing that you have to figure out is how you're going to make a Sazerac. And uh, when we were getting going, uh, there were a lot of Sazeracs around town. Uh, Some of them were good. Some of them were not. Um, And we said we really need to dig in on this drink. And we started putting together a philosophy. Um, So our philosophy really starts with how we're going to approach the drink. Um, You know, is the Sazerac a a standalone independent cocktail or is the Sazerac an evolution of the whiskey cocktail? So Mm -hmm. as we started debating that, we really felt, and and I think that over time it's really been proven out that the Sazerac uh, is an evolution of the improved whiskey cocktail and of the improved brandy cocktail. Mm-hmm. And so, so we really felt it was important to treat it in that way. Um, so 
from there, we really started looking at the ingredients. Um, so we looked at the rye mm-hmm. and we looked at the sugar and we looked at how we were going to use the bitters. Um, there, the, there, there are multiple ways, uh, how we were going to use the aromatics with, uh, with the absinthe and, or, and, or absinthe substitute, you know, substitute, mm-hmm. um, and the citrus element. And so that was a really, it was, it was important for us to dial down, you know, really dial into it and, and drill down and just figure out what we felt like made the best Sazerac. And mm-hmm. there was debate and the way I feel today isn't necessarily the way I felt 13 years ago. That's and incredible. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Right. And, and I think that that just goes to show you that, that you really never stop learning and you, and you may be anti one day, but the more you live with it, the, the more you, you come <laughs> around on, on, on some stuff. I mean, I was, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of hubris as a, as a young bartender. And, and, and I remember making Sazerac's and saying, you know, I really, really love them with orange peels. And I mm-hmm. actually really do think an orange peel works really well on a Sazerac, mm-hmm. but it ceases to be a Sazerac in my mind because, you know, as you know, Tim, you and I have talked a few times. And one of the things that, you know, that I've told you about cure is that a cure, we've always said that nothing is sacred except maybe a Sazerac. <laughs> and, and so when you start to look at what is classic, well, you know, while that orange peel may taste really good in a Sazerac format, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not a Sazerac. A hundred percent. And thus it cannot be served as a Sazerac without a qualification. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's a really great point for us to to jump off here, and it really relates to to what we're doing, which is that you know on the one hand you are refusing to say okay we, we've come up with a formula here we've perfected it and that's it. On the other hand, so you know you're evolving, but on the other hand you're saying look we we need to have some respect for the classics, um, which I think again like that's that's what we're trying to really get into with this show. Um, and, you know, like all classic cocktails, I wanted to ask about the Sazerac. So, you know, drinks have got to taste great, but to, to really reach those upper echelons, they have to have a great story as well, right? And I was wondering if you can tell us the story of the Sazerac, you know, kind of briefly. And, you know, is it one of those cocktails that does have a, a great drink, a, a great uh, story, sorry, and like great talking points? Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that that, that maybe the Sazerac has one of the, one of the best stories in all of cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like any, any great bar story, it, it has, uh, a lot of, uh, suspect facts in it. And so, you know, we, you know, you really start with the history of Sazerac, you know, but of the Sazerac cocktail, you cannot really talk about it without talking first about Stanley Clisby Arthur, um, in his 1937 work, New Orleans drinks. So the interesting thing about, about Arthur is that he is not a particularly reliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly got some stuff right, and he is our guide. And without Arthur, you really don't have a, a true canon of New Orleans cocktails. But at the same time, he was prone to take some liberties and to connect some dots that maybe shouldn't have been connected. <laughs> so... Um, so in 1937, he's looking back and trying to piece things together. And he, you know, I think he gets, he, he gets enough, right. That, that the Sazerac, that the legend of the Sazerac is built, but he gets enough wrong that we know that 
maybe we need to dig in historically and, and check his work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, number one, he certainly puts the timeline for Antoine Amadie Peychaud, uh, who was the inventor of uh, Peychaud's bitters. Um, he puts his timeline a little early, and um, you know, we're lucky to have to have Philip Green, uh, who's done a lot of the research around that. And Philip is is actually um, is actually a um, a descendant of Antoine Amadie Peychaud, and so when He's he's really one of the not not only is he a great historian, but he's really has a dog in the fight, too. Yeah. And so. So Philip was was smart enough and, and, and a good enough researcher to look and say, hey, look, this this doesn't match up. And so we really see that that when they're when when Clisby Arthur is talking about um, Antoine Amity Peychaud inventing the cocktail, not only did he say that he made the Sazerac. But right. Sazerac was the first cocktail and he invented it, which is, you know, patently false. So, and that was disproven pretty, pretty easily. Um, now, if you ask people around New Orleans, I think that a lot of people haven't kept up with that and certainly um, would like to believe that New Orleans is, uh, you know, still holds that, still holds that claim, but um, it's just not true. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've broken, broken a lot of hearts in my hometown when I've told them that. Uh, <laughs> Sure, that goes down well. Yeah, yeah, no, you have to serve that with a drink, really. <laughs> Something so, strong. So, so, so it's interesting. So, you know, immediately you start to see that there, are, you know, some pretty significant holes in the timeline, and then, you know, I think what's interesting is that it, it's it's hard to detach uh, our modern perspective when we're looking back on history, and I think I think Arthur kind of suffered from the same from the same challenge. And so he kind of knew the Sazerac as the Sazerac and was looking at the history of how the cocktail developed. And he said, well, you know, obviously people knew that as a Sazerac. Well, that's just not true. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't really see a Sazerac mentioned in print until the 18, I think until 1899. So, you know, we're talking, you know, 70, you know, just under 70 years after uh, Antoine Amity Peychaud invent, you know, starts his apothecary mm-hmm. in 1833. So the story goes that Antoine Amadie Peychaud creates the first cocktail and he has his his bitters, which are a patent medicine, and it's a, it's a curative. And so he puts it with sugar and brandy and the bitters and he serves it um, to to guests that aren't that aren't feeling well, guests that you know people that that uh that mm-hmm. uh, come to his pharmacy looking for a cure. And it just takes off and becomes all the rage, and and the Sazerac is born. Well, it's it's a little more convoluted than that because, you know, it's pretty it's pretty obvious that the that that the Sazerac, um, as we know it today, w- really developed over time, and certainly, as I said earlier, developed out of the improved brandy cocktail. So improved meaning adding absinthe. And and or adding maraschino liqueur, mm-hmm. so which was very, it's very close to the to the Sazerac format. Uh, in fact, almost identical. Right. And so, and that would have had you know widespread uh, adoption across the U.S. And so, but that doesn't change the fact that New Orleanians had a had a taste for brandy, and that's just because of our colonial. Um, heritage and in, in our French 
in our Spanish um, heritage, we certainly were were uh, were tied to the old world and and wanted things that were that were popular in the old world, like brandy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the Sazerac brand um, cognac would have been was certainly imported into New Orleans and was popular, and that's where the Sazerac Coffee House um, got its name from. And so from there, you, I'm sure that they were making improved brandy cocktails with Sazerac, um, you know, if for a fee mm-hmm. and they, um, and they certainly would have, um, you know, and it certainly would have been popular. Um, but I still don't think people understood that as being a Sazerac. And then you, and then of course you get into phylloxera, uh, which is part of, Clisby Arthur's story, and he gets it right. You know that it's 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 obvious that that as phylloxera starts to kill the vineyards uh, in France, that you certainly would have had either a massive price increase on the brandy that existed, um, and a, a severe a severely limited, uh, if not non-existent, um, supply of 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 young or new make, mm-hmm. and and that would have created an issue where people had to look elsewhere for their spirit. And when, you know, it doesn't take a huge leap of logic to know that rye was, uh, was had exploded all over the United States and that it became an easy substitution Mm -hmm. in, in the improved cocktail. So it was certainly went from an improved brandy cocktail into an improved rye cocktail an improved whiskey cocktail. And it, I'm sure was, was uh, consumed a lot, and over time you get to um, you get to to the uh, to the Sazerac to the Sazerac Bar, and um, you have a uh, Wilkinson and Mireille who are making it, and there's there's um, you know there's there's reference to them making the best whiskey cocktail in town in, in 1895, but. Uh, it's certainly not identified as a Sazerac. And then in 1899 is when you first see that Sazerac in print. Mm-hmm. And really at that point, then, I mean, I guess we enter this discussion because, you know, within the bar world, we do like to, we do like to disagree about things, right? And it, it, it's good. It provides fodder for, for barstool debate in, in our kind of, you know, niche circles. So mm-hmm. then at that point, that's where this great debate arises, right? You know, historically, perhaps pioneered with brandy and cognac. But if we're talking about for more than 100 years of its modern history, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. we're looking at this as a whiskey or rye-based drink, you know, and, and during the time at which it actually has that name attached, there's a good argument to say, hey, this is actually a rye cocktail, right? <laughs> um, well, yeah. rye certainly built the drink. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you have to keep that in mind, and I think that's right. And that doesn't mean that a brandy sazerac isn't a delicious cocktail because it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the great thing about simple drinks. Um, simple drinks really become a format, and you can swap right. out ingredients in them, and then they still work and they still taste great. Right, and that's why that transition could take place from cognac to rye because you have this solid foundation, you have the formula there, which really is kind of as people have shown throughout the modern industry, like that's the, that's the basis of cocktail culture, right? That's, that's the the blueprint right there. Yeah. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and much like in cooking where you have mother sauces, there are mother mm-hmm. cocktails. And mm-hmm. in this case, the whiskey cocktail is the mother cocktail mm-hmm. of the Sazerac. And then if we can bring it forward, therefore, to modern times, you touched upon the ingredients earlier. Um, I was just wondering, is this a cocktail where we're talking about that formula, that there's a widely agreed upon formula, or is this one of those ones where people take some degree of liberties? Um, is there a lot of personalized personalization? And what are your particular specs, just in terms of, yeah, kind of kind of ingredient and uh, and ratio? We'll, we'll dig into the finer details after this, but just kind of generally speaking. Sure. Now, I, I mean, I think that with, with any cocktail that's been around this long, you have people that make it uh, in their own way. And, mm-hmm. and that, and that has to exist. And, and there, and there are people that make it in a way that was passed down through their families. And that, and that to me is, uh, I think one of the coolest things that can happen in cocktails and food. Um, you know, we try and look at it through a historical lens, but then we also try and, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't live in 1899 mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and <laughs> though we might pretend sometimes in the world of cocktails, um, we, um, you know, we have to take into account that we live in a modern world with, with, uh, with, with modern techniques and modern ingredients. And if we, if we don't, then, uh, then, then, it, then it's not always going to translate well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we really think about it as a whiskey cocktail, right. Mm-hmm. And, and thus we really build it in the way that we would build an old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what we're looking for is, so we're looking for a rye that has some spice notes, but Mm-hmm. We also want a rye that's got some body, and the reason why is because you want it to, you know, the Sazerac is 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 a textural experience, right? You know, you're you're taking your time to not understir it, to not overstir it. You really want to get it in the right place where it has this like velvet texture um, and mouthfeel, and so that to me, you know, you don't want something that is so 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 spicy and thin that that it becomes hard to get that, that really, for me, it's a pleasure point in, mm-hmm. in a Sazerac. Um, you know, number two, and this was one of the things that we hotly debate, you know, debated in the early days of cure is the style of sugar. And so for us, we, you know, we looked and we said, well, we, you know, what type of sugar do we think was probably being used? Do we think it was a refined sugar? Do we think it was less refined sugar? And we settled on less refined sugar. And, and my business partner, Kirk, uh, Stopanol, was really passionate um, and about that, and I always liked Sazeracs with white sugar uh, because I felt like it kind of got out of the way. But you know, as we started talking about it and doing side by sides, I think I realized that it was nice to use a darker sugar, and and because you get more texture, yeah, um, you get those like kind of dark molasses notes. And we just felt like it gave it made for a more complex cocktail, and we felt like it was it was historically more accurate. Mm-hmm. So, and then from there is where some of the controversy comes because there certainly um, is historical. Um, there's histor- historical record that you would have seen uh, Angostura and Peixos bitters used in a Sazerac pretty oh, really? often. Yeah, absolutely, oh, and so. But we only use Pesha. And because I think that when you're looking at the break in cocktails and what makes a Sazerac independent from a whiskey cocktail, from an old fashioned, 
is that you it's it's the proprietary bitters, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's a flavor that I want more and more of. And look, a Sazerac with Angostura bitters is is perfectly delicious, but in my mind, it takes it a little bit away of what makes it uniquely a Sazerac. And so there is controversy. Everybody can argue that, but that's what we've decided uh, within within our bars. Mm-hmm. And it has started to become more standard uh, in New Orleans, uh, but that doesn't mean that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to be really clear about that. Just because we do it doesn't mean that it's the right way. It just means it's the way that we do it. Mm-hmm. And there is philosophy behind it, but you can argue that. That's fantastic. And then also, you know, so one thing that you were mentioning earlier is is texture, texture being a great part of this drink. And it, this also ties into the kind of, um, I don't know, that this kind of historical... Um, trying to think of the word here properly, sorry. <laughs> the, the, the kind of historical question that arises from, do you use what was made historically or do you use something more modern? And I think that takes us on to the next component, which is, are you using herbsane or absinthe? Because of course, absinthe might have been historically correct, but wasn't available in the US until 2007. So you get to a point where a large part of this cocktail's history has been made with herbsane. So I was wondering... Uh, where does that come in for you and and how do each one of those ingredients affect texture, which sounds like what you're looking for? Sure. And so I, I also want to say that I like absinthe and herb saint. I like them both. Interesting. And they do different things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I want absinthe in my Sazerac and sometimes I want herb saint. Now, I don't want the herb saint that was used for years and years and years in New Orleans. Um, I really want the, um, you know, I really want the kind of throwback herb saint that that uh, Sazerac um, launched. God, it's probably been probably in 2012 now. Um, it's probably mm-hmm. you know a decade ago. Yeah, and and so and it while it doesn't have grand wormwood like um, like absinthe, it does function in a lot of ways like an absinthe and the proof is right mm-hmm. and it's not as sweet as the herb saint uh that was used for generations here in new orleans so it in a lot of ways it's kind of like it, it's kind of hedging our bet a little bit so whereas you may have have had a kind of sweeter um less you know less anise forward product with herb saint in in a lot the thing that that, that we like about the herb saint original is that it it's kind of hedging our bet right so you know absinthe has exceptionally strong flavors mm-hmm. and the herb saint that was used for for a few generations in new orleans is a little sweeter and a little less a little less robust right and so we love to kind of meet in the middle and find something that's got that's that, that's got a little sweetness to it but also has, but also has some really strong anise flavors, mm-hmm. and and so for that, it, it you miss a little bit of the bitterness that you get from the from the grand wormwood, but um, but it still functions really close to an absinthe. So mm-hmm. that's kind of it. Still has that like culturally important ingredient with herb saint, but then it has some of the things you're looking for in absinthe. Fantastic. 
the only other thing I was going to ask about that as well is just, yeah, when I talked about texture, I th- you, you mentioned upon it there in terms of the bitterness, you don't quite get the bitterness of absinthe. Is, is that something that's like um, you're losing out on or you, you really don't feel that it is so much? So it, it, it's not well, a great consideration. Well, so, I, I mean, I think that, that it's like any cocktail, like, you, you know, you have to, you have to understand what you're working with. Now, mm-hmm. granted, we use something that wouldn't have been used historically, right? So we, you know, historically they would have taken a dash of absinthe um, and put it in, put it in the chilled glass, mm-hmm. and then they would have thrown it up in the air to coat it and then dumped it, right? Mm-hmm. Or dumped it back into something, uh, which was probably more likely, yeah, <laughs> uh, because because a bar owner's concerns are the same today as they were then. So, <laughs> bottom line, <laughs> and so. Um, so, you know, what we use now is we use atomizers just because they're really effective. You don't use a lot of product. They coat mm-hmm. efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not using so much, right? But it's like any cocktail. Like if you're not paying attention to what ingredients you're using, you know, it's like you know, if you make a daiquiri and you, and you make a daiquiri a few months apart, if you, if you use that lime, the, the lime you bought at the store, it's going to be different yep. uh, in different seasons, different acidity, different sweetness. And that, mm-hmm. and so that's something that you have to always keep in mind when you're, when you're making cocktails. So mm-hmm. if you, you're, if you're using an absinthe, you are bringing a little extra bitterness to the party. Now, so now, now granted, not all absinths are made or created equally. So you have to understand like, is, does the absinthe have a lot of sugar? Does it not have a lot of sugar? What's the proof on it? How strong is it? What is, you know, what level of wormwood? So if it's, if it has some bitter notes to it, maybe you want to dial down your bitters a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And also like a really lovely transition into something else that you alluded to earlier that I would love to hear more about too, which is you were talking about the rye that you use and you don't want it to be too spicy and you don't want it to be too thin. So, you know, of course that, that will come down to a number of factors, but maybe the first one that we're looking at is uh, mash bills and, you know, purists might these days want to be drinking a high rye mash bill, but uh, as I understand it and from the sounds of it, maybe that's not what you're looking for for this specific cocktail. No, I mean, and, and that's not what we're looking for. And, and look, the, there is an excellent place in, in cocktails for high rye mash bills. And mm-hmm. uh, this is not taking away from that in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Now, our goal, you know, 13 years ago, we knew people were drinking Sazeracs. We didn't know if people were always liking Sazeracs when they drank them. Um, <laughs> but, but it was to put a Sazerac that we felt like tasted really great. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we didn't feel like the high rye mash bill, which was really hard to find at the time, by the way. Um, okay. Made, you know, made for the best, for the best version. And so, but we also, you know, we're, we, we you know, we're very lucky in New Orleans and that, that the Gold Ring family that owns Sazerac, that they live in New Orleans, and New Orleans is 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 a priority for them. And so Sazerac six year, even when it has been difficult to get in other markets, has been readily available in New Orleans. And mm-hmm. so we had a great product to work with, and and so it was easy for us to default to that. But we also felt like the six years of aging uh, really yep. helped, and we also felt like a mash bill that wasn't super high rye made for a kind of like, you know, spicy, but sweet and rich, um, base for the cocktail. And, and from there we could then decide how many, you know, 
you know, how many drops uh, and or dashes or bitters we wanted to use um, mm-hmm. and what level of sugar we wanted to use. And it, it's just, you know, you, you, you have to start somewhere when you're creating a format, right? Yeah. And so for us, that's where we started. We started on Sazerac six year mm-hmm. and we started there because of what we felt like it would bring to the party. But then from there, we made our decisions. You know, mm-hmm. You've got to find, you've got to put your foot in the ground um, on one thing. You've right? got to settle on one variable right before you can yeah. start. Yeah. Otherwise, and so, yeah. And so that's really where, you know, where we started. And then we started going through the other, you know, the other questions that we had mm-hmm. and the other decisions. And, and, and certainly I still think that we could have a very tasty Sazerac if we used a high rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the recipe would look different. Right. So tell it, tell us about that recipe then, and, and, and tell us about your specific preparation. Cause I, I feel like this, again, knowing somewhat about your Sazerac, this, this really is something that you dial in on the details for. So tell us how you prepare that, um, specifically. Sure. So, so at Cure, as I said, we, we start off with two ounces of Sazerac rye whiskey, and that's a six year rye whiskey. And then from there, um, we, we use, um, a a quarter ounce, we, we, you know, generally kind of a skinny quarter ounce Mm -hmm. of Demerara syrup. It's two to one, Mm -hmm. um, it's lightly cooked. So we're, you know, we're looking to, to, to melt the sugar into the syrup. Um, but it is not something where we're like boiling the syrup or doing anything. Right. Reducing down to a caramel. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we're, we are looking for, we, we are looking to, 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 to integrate uh, the sugar in the water, we are not looking to to uh, cook the syrup. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we use we use dropper bottles, and 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 the reason why is because of the can you know it's 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 incredible what a little you know a drop or two um, more or less of bitters will do to a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And and skilled bartenders certainly can 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 account for that. But we're looking for for consistency and precision, so we use dropper bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our formula is that seven drops out of a dropper bottle equals one dash. Um, so we do we do twenty one to twenty three drops of Peixot's bitters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it used to be twenty one, and then and then one of our longtime bartenders and my, and my partner at Val's, um, Turk Dietrich, he um, he added two. Because he loved Michael Jordan and he felt like it made a better drink, and uh, <laughs> so they went up to twenty three. Um, you know, I, I would say twenty one to twenty three. But okay, you know, certainly if you sat at the bar uh, at Cure, you would probably get twenty three drops in your sazerac. Right? <laughs> it's funny how these things um, how these things uh, catch on and stay. And then you know, from there, you know, if we're building that in a mixing glass, um, you want to try and integrate all of your liquid ingredients at that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what we're, you know, what we're going to do from there is you're going to pull out your chilled, um, your chilled glass, double old fashioned glass, and you're going to take your, your atomizer and you're going to do about four sprays, uh, on the inside specifically on the inside of the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you want to be very, it's, you want to be very intentional about where you're putting, your aromatics on this cocktail. This is a double aromatic cocktail. Mm-hmm. So you don't want them. You, I, I'm, I really want a distinct 
distinct aromatic qualities and they will blend that's not to say that they won't you know it's you know you can't help that but you would like to to know that if you put your nose near a certain part of the glass you might get more of one aromatic versus kind of all of it all mixed all the time mm-hmm. right so we um in in it's an important way about how we approach it so uh atomized herb saint original on the inside and then we'll stir our stir our cocktail and you know depending on your i mean obviously ice is everything in this moment yeah um so you know you want your cocktail glass chilled because you don't want to spend your time um chilling down a cocktail and then putting it into a warm glass and then as the glass is trying to match the chill of the of the cocktail it it transfers the cold out of the cocktail into the glass um to to reach equilibrium mm-hmm. so you, it's really important that you use a cold glass because you've spent your time trying to get your your dilution and chill appropriate. Um, you know, depending on the ice you're using, uh, the more dense, the longer you're going to stir it. Um, the less dense, the shorter you're going to stir it. Um, some people like to pre-dilute. I think it depends on on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for us, then we're gonna we're gonna strain it and we're gonna strain it very carefully because what we don't want to do is add bubbles um to 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 really affect the texture of the drink um take your time you know try and make it into a silky smooth cocktail um and then you're going to cut your lemon peel and you're going to express you know from about three to four inches away on the outside of the cocktail glass and that's not to say that a little bit of that can't go in the cocktail, but your goal is to put as much of the oil on the outside of the glass as possible mm-hmm. because you want it to get on someone's hand. Because yeah. when you put oil on top of a drink, you really, you really are going to drink that within the first two sips because mm-hmm. it's just going to sit on top of the drink. So we want that lemon oil to really stick around and to stay on your guest, your guest or, or your hand. Um, so what we'll do is we'll kind of dab it on different parts of the glass. And that's not like a rub. It's just kind of taking this like oil laden peel and trying to get as much of that oil on the glass as possible. And then we'll kind of roll the peel. Um, and, and, th- and there's a tradition of that in New Orleans. So you roll the peel and then you put and you mount it on the on the edge. That's not that, look, fate intervenes. Sometimes they fall in, sometimes they fall out, like big deal. Mm-hmm. But you know, you have, you know, once again, this peel that's full of full of full of oil, full of 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 oil and acid and if you that peel goes in the drink that drink will be lighter and brighter with a little more acid and if that drink goes out it's richer and rounder and so we really think that that should be a guest uh decision unless of course fate intervenes and it falls in or out Mm -hmm. i think that's i think i what what i really love about hearing that is is talking about your specific approach to to the aromatics there um, and this is something I actually encountered last night because thinking about the show and thinking about this episode and Sazerex, I made one for myself, of course, and sat down with a drink. Um, and, you know, it occurred to me that I don't have an atomizer at home. So I was rinsing out my glass and then got a little bit on the outside of the glass of, of, of my absinthe. And I was like, well, this is an unpleasant experience because I don't think that that's really necessarily an aromatic that you want on your hand. And then mm-hmm. my next step where I went wrong was going too much lemon and at the end of the day i was like i'm actually missing out on the aromatics within the drink when you know when i sip from the glass 
I'm missing the absinthe from kind of mm-hmm. from my nose. And and I was really startled at how the lemon could overtake the absinthe because, you know, you just imagine it to be so strong and powerful. But, you know, that real measured approach that you have definitely tracks with my bad experiences as a as a bad home bartender. <laughs> well, I mean, look, this is this is a lot of a lot of time and a lot of trial and 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 as I said, you know, we have we have one way of doing this and 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 we put theory into it and and there's a reason why we do it, but that doesn't mean that it's the right reason for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're you know getting back to that idea of, of Angostura bitters. Uh, or getting back to the idea of of what of what level of rye in your base distillate. I mean, mm-hmm. there it there there or you know getting back to are you going to use herb saint? Are you going to use the older herb saint? Are you going to use the you know you, that that's a little sweeter? Are you going to use absinthe? Like so many little decisions that go into it. And for us, it's really a process oriented drink, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's because the way that we think about it, it it kind of lines up. You know, we're stacking, we're stacking aromatics, we're stacking flavors, we're, we're being very intentional for a reason. And that's what makes our version shine, but that doesn't mean that it's going to work for every version with every ingredient. A hundred percent. And, and that would also seem to be like a philosophy that anyone can, can take and apply to any other drink, which is being intentional with your ingredients and and the reasons you're doing them right you can be informed by history you can also realize that things have changed over time but only once you understand your ingredients and the thing that you're aiming for at the end like that should inform these decisions yeah i mean in 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 look like you know we are not saving lives here right we're making mm-hmm. cocktails and and it's important to note that You've got to like the most important thing is that you make a drink that you like, mm-hmm. right? If you're making, if you're a home bar- bartender and you're making it for yourself, like make the drink that you like. Don't make it because I like it. You know, what the fuck do I know? You know mm-hmm. why? You know why should you listen to me if you live in if you live in you know in 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 upstate New York and you have different things that are available to you than 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 I do in New Orleans? Like, what does it matter what I think about how you make your cocktail? It, mm-hmm. What it matters is that if you enjoy your cocktail and that's the same for wine, that's the same for beer, drink the things that you like. Don't mm-hmm. let anybody tell you what you should be drinking. Drink what you want. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, and so do you have any other final remarks about this drink? I think one of the things that I probably cut you off earlier, I'm sure you probably would have mentioned this, but one thing that I find sa- uh, fascinating about the Sazerac is that it's the uh, official cocktail of New Orleans, not Louisiana, yeah. which I think is sometimes erroneously reported, but New Orleans, like that's a, that's a pretty big, you know, um, title to hold, right? There's, there's some stiff competition yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, certainly we're the only, uh, the only city with an official cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so we, so it was passed in 2008, um, and it was supposed to be statewide. And then, uh, and you know, New Orleans does not always share the same values as the rest of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the rest of, uh, uh, the, the rest of our, uh, of our representatives, uh, over Louisiana thought that maybe Louisiana shouldn't have an official cocktail, which, uh, you know, I, I could understand why, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, I don't agree with. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so New Orleans got its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, their loss, our gain. 
Yeah. And, you know, sorry, Ramos, Gin, Fizz, and to a lesser extent, I guess the French 75, not not from the city, but definitely very famous in the city. Yeah. Cer- uh, certainly co-opted by us. Yeah. And, and and look, and, and and I do think that the Ramos is 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 a uniquely New Orleans drink, and mm-hmm. um, and it would have been a great it would have been a great uh, a great selection as well. Mm-hmm. And but I also think I'm really happy it's not on a personal level. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, and and we're definitely going to have that um, uh, in this first season for folks to listen to. So you you you'll understand why that is as well. But uh, yeah, not probably. Not something you want to be making too many of if you can avoid it. Yeah, we'll have uh, we'll, we'll have all these recipes. We've got a uh, our cure book coming out. It's a New Orleans cocktail book uh, that'll come out in the next year or so. So there'll be plenty of plenty of New Orleans cocktails to dive into. Oh, amazing! Well, Neil, it's it's been so great exploring this cocktail and this drink with you, um, and and really hearing just about your specific approach to it. Um, but now I'd love to, to to kind of end the show with getting to know yourself a little bit more and, and finishing with some quick questions that would also probably, you know, provide some incredible advice to to younger bartenders starting out or folks, you know, um, yeah, at different stages in their career. So how's that sound? That sounds great. That sounds great. Uh, buyer beware on some of this stuff. <laughs> so first, first quick hit question uh, for us here. Um, what's the first bottle, whether it's a brand or a general category of spirit that makes it onto your bar programs? So, you know, it's interesting and, and, and it is um, kind of related to what, to what we just talked about. I mean, in general, Sazerac um, six-year rye is one of the first bottles that is an, that, that's on our bar. I mean, mm-hmm. in every bar that I've, the, that I've owned or operated, um, it is, it, it's one of our first selections and mm-hmm. it's just, well, you know, we make so many Sazeracs in new Orleans mm-hmm. that it is, it is really one of those really <laughs> is, I think the first bottle that we always get. And as a quick aside here, um, to my mind, and this is, I'm just riffing off the top of my head here, but I don't think there's any other classic cocktail where, the spirit component, at least, you can grab for a bottle with the same name than Sazerac. Is that correct? Correct. 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 Um, uh, I think, I, and well, I mean, so the Sazerac company just just released Henry Ramos gin, so I guess you could make a Ramos okay. gin fizz. Well, with, they've got with, previous uh, here. Gin. And I mean, I'm sure that there are other ones. I just, I can't think of it. Uh, right now <laughs> mm-hmm. I, and martini drinkers please note there that i said spirits and not you know any other component just for the, just for the record there um yep. Yep. second question well said yeah just want to put that out there um so what would be the most important tool um or which ingredient sorry or tool do you believe is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal I'm going to do an ingredient and a tool if that makes, if that, if you're okay with that. So that is allowed. Um, the first ingredient are bitters. I mean, bitters are, are the bitters are the salt of cocktails. And mm-hmm. um, I really, there are very few cocktails that I don't think, you know, uh, that I don't think are improved uh, by bitters. Uh, and so I, it's just, it really is like a pinch of salt in cooking mm-hmm. and it just, it, it highlights flavors. It ties things together. Um, and it, it, to me, just that, that's like the one thing, like I want, I want it, I want, I want them all the time mm-hmm. in all of my drinks. 
So, and then, so that's, so, so that's number one. And then, then the undervalued tool, I mean, I think to say that it's undervalued would be, um, would, you know, might be a stretch, but I think the bar spoon is the most important thing. I mean, you can crack ice with it. You can measure with it. Um, you can stir with it. It's, you know, I just feel, I find myself doing a thousand, you can string mm-hmm. with it. Like I just can do so much with the bar spoon if I needed it. If I needed one tool, you know, like I'm, I'm up at my parents' house in North Carolina right now and, and they don't have a bar spoon and it's pain in my butt. To make cocktails. <laughs> it's like uh it's an extension of your hand. It's like a knife for a chef. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the next one I would pick would be, would be a jigger, some sort of measurement tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but those are more easily replaced, uh, than, than a great bar spoon. Mm-hmm. And then what has been the most important piece of advice you've received uh, working in the industry? So, so this is something that is is another foundational principle at Cure. But you've got to ask yourself why. Like you cannot, we cannot take um, knowledge and kind of, you know, kind of accepted knowledge as gospel, right? At some point, someone said, "This is the way I think it should be done." And then it became accepted, mm-hmm. right? We always have to ask ourselves the question, why? And this comes back to what we think about the Sazerac, right? Like, why do we, why do we pick this kind of rye? Why, do, why are we using these kind of bitters? Like, if you're not asking yourself why, why am I doing it? Then you're never improving. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're, just, you're just regurgitating someone else's opinions. And so that would be the most important piece of advice is that you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I shaking this long? Why am I stirring this long? Why am I double straining? Why am I like, there are a thousand little details that go into bartending in production that you've got to question. Mm-hmm. Again, history is relative, right? And uh, there are different For points sure. in history. Yeah. So if you perspective, a hundred percent. So if you could only visit, one last bar in your life, whether that's the same bar for the rest of your life or one last visit to a bar, uh, which one would that be? Well, so, so it's hard and I'll give you two answers, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, cure, cure was a life dream, uh, of mine and, and there's no place in the world where I feel more comfortable, um, besides my house, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like very much like an extension of me. And so I feel exceptionally comfortable in cure. And if I had to have if I had to pick one bar to go to for the rest of my life for for it to be the final bar, that's where it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was not, but that is also like a personally, right? Mm-hmm. If I would be someone else's bar, I really, you know, that look, there are a thousand amazing bars in the world that I would feel honored to have a last drink in. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me um, is is Dante, um, and mm. I just think it's a really special place, and I think the drinks are exceptional. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just would be, it would be that, that kind of place where I would have a last drink. Mm-hmm. I think it does that great job of, of delivering incredible quality, but that you could almost walk past it in the street and not realize I, I, I don't, nothing against them in terms of, I think the decor is amazing and whatnot, but you might not expect, right. And I, I love that idea as well, that you could be like, Oh, that looks like a cute cafe, but, um, well, and, yeah. and it's, and it's also, it's, it's, it's got an incredible history. And, um, and they really are, you know, in the way that I, that I really appreciate, you know, they are, you know, they, they are kind of carrying the mantle, mm-hmm. um, of a historically relevant, mm-hmm. uh, business. 
and and that really appeals to me. And final question here: um, If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Well, I mean that's a hard one, and I uh, I don't know, and I do know, right? Mm-hmm. And because there, I mean, I, if if you look at the back bar of cure, like we have so many products because there's, I love so many things mm-hmm. and, um, I genuinely find myself coming back to the Negroni over and over and over. And I think I would have to make myself a Negroni mm-hmm. for my last cocktail. Um, but I would also, you know, once again, I would take my time and I would, and I would find the vermouth that I wanted and I would find the gin that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would, I would make sure that it was, that it was perfect mm-hmm. and that it was, and that it was, uh, that I could savor it. Fantastic. Well, Neil, thank you so much again for joining us today. You know, nothing sacred, uh, except perhaps the Sazerac <laughs> wonderful thought. And, uh, it's been real great speaking with you. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for thinking about me for this. Thank you very much. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. The right bourbon can elevate your next cocktail into an experience worth savoring. So look for a brand that doesn't overlook the details and sets the standard for bourbon. That's not creep. It's truly the real deal. An authentic, classic line of American whiskies with proofs ranging from 100 to 120. Knob Creek is aged longer to produce a full flavor experience as rich and deep as its history. With every drop, you notice the attention to detail Knob Creek puts into its bourbon. So strive for a little more substance, because when you choose to go deeper, you'll find so much more to appreciate.